Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening to you, depending on when you're watching this edition or indeed listening to the podcast version of this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. I've got another amazing guest for you who I will introduce in a moment. Some of you may recognize him already. He'll be on one side of me, depending on which way Skype decide to do it this time. As always, you will find below this video or the audio podcast links to this gentleman's website and his social media platforms so that you can look into the various courses shows and other wonderful services that he uh, offers through his various websites and social media platforms uh, for the record it's the 23rd of June 2020 as we record this I state that because the recent interviews I've had uh, at some point we end up inevitably mentioning uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 so if you're watching this in weeks months or years to come when hopefully things have got back to normal it will at least make sense to you why we're mentioning those things because it was recorded on the 23rd of June 2020. So I'd like to introduce you to a gentleman who does over 300 comedy stage hypnosis shows a year. Uh, he also does hypnotherapy. He also teaches people um, the full the full spectrum, really. He's going to tell you more about all that. Please welcome to the show all the way from the US of A, Mr. Rich Guzzi. How are you doing, sir? Thank you very much. I'm, I'm ha very happy to be here. We finally got connected. We had problems, but we sorted them. Um, look, Rich, um, for those people who've not yet had the uh, pleasure of seeing you perform or haven't gone on YouTube and seen videos or looked at your website, obviously we're going to share what you're up to and what you've done over the course of the next hour. But there was a time when you weren't a hypnotist. Or more correctly, because I want to point this out, Rich's website, and this is a clear definition, he says he's a comedian who uses and does hypnosis, not a hypnotist who does comedy. Um, but before we get into that, what do you, what was your path to getting into the hypnosis? Uh, it's, it's actually, um, I was a comedian for about 15 years, uh, as a regular straight stand-up before I ever did the hypnosis show. All right, cool. And I kind of accidentally fell into doing hypnosis, um, because of, I guess, it was just a weird occurrence. I, I walked into one of, my, one of my comedy clubs I was working that week, and the club manager um, said, did you hear um, Otto and George on the Howard Stern show that morning? And uh, Otto and George is like a dirty, he was a dirty puppet act, real nasty puppet. <laughs> yeah. And he was going off and going crazy, and I guess the owner of Rascals, which was the club I was working, got really mad because he heard it, and and she's telling me a story. She says, oh, that's it. I have to fire Otto and George. He's never worked the club ever again. In fact, his manager, Joe Miller's with him. And you got to fire all Joe Miller's acts. I had to fire everybody. I even had to fire poor Denny Moore, the hypnotist. So I got to find another hypnotist. And I don't even know why I said it, because I was just goofing around. I said, well, I can do the hypnotizing show for you. She goes, you can do the hypnotizing show? I said, yeah. You know, I do this psychic guy. And the psychic thing is the same thing as the hypnosis. Remember that, that guy, John Edwards, the psychic guy? Yeah. I used to do a bit in my act about doing these dopey psychic readings. And people used to love that part of the show. So I said, yeah, the psychic stuff, the same thing as the hypnotizing. I could do that, no problem. I was just goofing around. But she took it serious. She takes me in the back. She says, all right, here's the week. And it was like three times the money I would normally make. Because hypnotists got paid more money than comedians. So I said, yeah, I'll take the week. I remember, <laughs> I remember driving home that night and said, well, better learn how to do the hypnotizing show. <laughs> you know? And I went took a hypnotizing class. And I was driving home. I'm saying, I'm in major trouble here. Because this is all nonsense. It's not going to work. I'm going to look like a fool. So I'm, I'm doing all the stuff that they taught me in the class. You know, the arms going up and down. You know, mm -hmm. and the hand I'm practicing all this stuff on my regular fans after my regular comedy shows for the next couple of weeks. I had six weeks to prepare the what, by the way. All six right, weeks. okay. That's a crazy short amount of time. Yeah. So six, six weeks. So I'm putting it all together. I said, you know what? I got to do a practice show to see if it all works. But it's got to be in a place where if, if it goes bad, nobody's going to know about it. So, like, never work in Muskegon, Michigan ever again, that type of place, all right? So I get some guy to book the show in, and it fills up because the guy sold, like, $5 tickets. And the place had 300 people there. I did the stuff like the guy taught me, and it worked. And I'm like, man, this hypnotized stuff is real. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I remember I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I had to go to St. Louis the next day. I couldn't fall asleep. I actually drove to St. Louis that night after the show because I was all wired up. I did another practice show in like Altoona, Pennsylvania, this other little town. And then Rascals comes up, the big, the big venue. Now, mm -hmm. to tell you how big this club was, all the big time comedians played there. 
you know, it was like, you know, uh, Dice and uh, Sam Kinison, you know, um, Roddy Dangefield. Every big comedian had played this club. So this was a big deal. If you screw uh-huh. this up, it, it's bad. Yeah. So I go there the first night, Wednesday night, and who shows up? Denny Moore, the hypnotist, and his manager. And I'm like, oh, man, they're going to scrutinize now. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. And it was actually, I'm thinking back in retrospect, it's a smart move. Because they figure I'm going to go belly up. They're going to save the day, get their gig back. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So I said, you know what? I'm still a great comedian. I'm going to do 15 minutes of my best material up front, get the crowd on my side. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of people on stage to be hypnotized. Whoever many I end up with, that's going to be the show. All right, that's the plan. Good. I go up. I do great material. Everybody's laughing. I'm just having a good time. I bring like 20 people on stage. I got them sitting in the corners. They're all over the place. I end up with four killer subjects. Okay. Show, show goes off without a hitch. My confidence grew. Those guys left in the middle of the show. The guy, he's got it. They left. I remember I did seven shows that week, and she gives me a check for $3,000. I remember, and this is like, you know, 25 years ago. I never made $3,000 before. And I said, this is amazing. Right? I remember driving home, like, oh, I was on top of the world. I mean, this is great. I cashed that check on Monday, and then I never thought I was going to keep doing the show. I just figured, let me just get out of this. Uh-huh. But then, you know, people started calling up. Hey, I heard you can do the hypnotizing show, right? You're working this week, and all of a sudden, weeks started filling in. I booked in like six months worth of work doing the hypnotizing show. And I started taking less and less comedy gigs. The numbers started escalating. Next thing you know, I'm here I am 25 year, years later, still doing the hypnotizing show. Right. And then the progression happened um, from there. I saw how powerful it was to the people in the audience watching. Mm-hmm. I made the show very inspirational. And all of a sudden, I started noticing how people's lives were changing because of it. And all the times I said, I'm just not going to do this anymore because I want to do regular comedy. The universe kept pulling me forward to keep on helping these people. And it just grew, it just grew and grew. And then here it is now. My show is almost strictly inspirational shows now at this point. So um, it, was, it was a really interesting path to get me here. But um, I'm really glad I took it. You know, and now I'm showing the new guys that I'm teaching now coming through the ranks. You know, you, ha- you, know, you got to paint hypnosis in a good light. You know, it's important every night to do a good showing where people see that this is a very valuable tool to make your life better, not just a last resort. And that's what it's really all about. And if we could do that, then hypnosis is really going to be on the map in a big way. I've got to ask you, let's get it out. Well, I say get it out of the way. It's not because I want to dismiss it or, or and I'm not treating it in any flippant manner. Of course I'm not. It's just let's hit it head on. Um I know that in the States, people have started very recently to start doing shows again, some people. Yep. Here in England, we can't for one key reason, that the venues aren't open yet. The government's not allowed them to reopen yet. Right, um, right. But I know that there are places where it, it, people have started, a few people, and I see that you've got um, 26th, 27th, this Friday or Saturday, you've got an event, I see, advertised. Um uh, as well what what differences are happening out there in terms of i mean your venues some of them are open and shows are starting to take place but obviously there's still social distancing cdc yep. still say that the two meter rule applies and all that um what what, what changes have you had to make to things right well the, the new shows are going to have to be you know done in a way where yes you keep everybody separated so some of the bits are going to have to change. Some of the material is going to have to change. So what I did was I, I, I'm one of those guys who tapes all the chairs together. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm with it, not moving around because usually they're very active. So what I'm doing is I'm actually turning chairs reversed so it keeps everybody separated. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you, yeah, so you like to have a, a seated chair and in realism, I would guess two chairs the other way Correct. to keep the distance before facing this. Okay. Yeah. So I'm usually ending up with about six people now. If, if I, I, I did some shows recently where that's exactly how I did it, and everybody's separated now. And now this is going to separate the men from the boys. All right? You have to be skilled as a hypnotist now because you're only starting with six people. Mm. And your game has – you have to be on your game now. Before – you know, a lot of hypnotists say it's a numbers game. You bring bring a whole bunch of people up, however many ends up hypnotized, that's going to be your show. 
And that worked for a long time. But now that's not going to be the case anymore. You've got to be on your game and you've got to make sure the people who come up, those people get hypnotized. Otherwise, you're going to end up with no people. Yeah. So um, that's uh, scenario number one. Scenario number two is you have to structure all the material now where they're interacting with each other, but from a distance. So no more like where they're all dancing in the ball ballerinas and they're ballet dancing together or they're dancing together. All that stuff has to go away now. Yeah. Um, so you so you restructure the bits. Now, luckily, you know, my show, the first 20 minutes is all rapid fire bits one after another with it, with it acting out in place on the chairs. Oh, well, thank God for that. That's a good start. Right. Yeah. So, so I already know how to do this. Um, and I've toyed with the idea many times of doing the entire show that way because it's extremely powerful and, and it's, it really hits the crowd hard. But what I've noticed is that the audience can't keep up the pace of laughing when you do it that way. They burn yeah. out. So about you've got to have peaks and troughs, just like yeah. stand-up comedy. Yeah, give them recovery. Yep, it's just it's just like comedy. You know, again, I can tell how how professional you are for being able to notice that, um, because a lot of guys they just are just going to pour the coal and keep on forging forward. But you're going to wear the audience out. You're going to wear the subjects out, and it's not going to work anymore. So I'm going to do 20 minutes up front of that where they're not touching each other at all, they're not they're all facing forward. And then from there, I will structure all the bits from that point forward where they're interacting with each other, but from a distance. So it could be like, you know, the usual stuff, you know, where you guys love this thing, you guys hate this thing. And then all of a sudden they start interacting with each other, but they, they can interact from the six feet away. But the key component is making sure that you have great hypnotic subjects on stage. And that is, it all boils down to you being a great hypnotist now. What are you going to do in regards to the way? Obviously, certain things are open to interpretation. There isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer. Uh, there's only a right or wrong answer if governments or, or you know, the lawmaking departments categorically state something has to be done a certain way. But best practice, health and safety wise, they're talking about, you know, like shops. If somebody brings something back to a shop, um, they've got to keep it in the back for uh, uh, couple of days or something before they put it back out on sale type thing because apparently it could be carrying it and you've got to give it time to die so the argument is that that could happen with props um so i mean i i know that one or two people i've been advising over here that are hoping venues will open soon i've been saying look either don't use props which is horrible because it visually it does help things or use single use disposable items yes. um, i mean what, what are your thoughts on that because i think props are useful because they make it a bit more visual for the audience absolutely you know so um now a long time ago i remember the guy who originally told me how to do comedy like almost 40 years ago this guy joey cola he was the guy was amazing because he was so powerful as a comic and used nothing but the microphone, the stool, you know, the microphone cord, and his face mm -hmm. to make all these amazing things happen. So I was taught on how you can make things super funny without even saying words, just like by using your face and the way. So um, I was never using uh, a user of props in, in a huge way. I, I would use some things, yes, but you actually hit the nail on the head. You can use a one-off item. And then you just didn't just throw it away. It could be like fruits, it could be vegetables and stuff like, you know, like non, you know, like, like bananas or, you know, whatever. And they just, they get tossed when it's, when it's over with. Um, or you write your bits, you write the material structured where the, the props are really unnecessary. Um, and and it, it can be done. Mm. You know, you look at it like, um, uh, like the sketch TV shows are the, a really great example. You, you can have um, material that is very, um, audio, audio powered, you know, where they're interacting with each other. So like, you know, I have, a, I have some specific bits that I do just for the radio. So people can't see it at all now. Uh -huh. but I have a whole show that's just, just for the radio. And those bits are now actually perfect for this type of situation. Yeah. Well, they're all audio friendly bits, but they're super funny. So you have to just write more stuff like that. And you know, again, it all comes down to, you know, the hypnotist putting the effort in to make that happen. But yes, I mean, if you, if you have to use a prop again, you know, go in, go, go to the, go to Walmart or I don't know if you guys have Walmart,
Like you got you got to... uh, well, Walmart bought out a, a, a department store we have in England called Asda's. So yeah, it's called there. Yeah. I remember one time I had to write a brand new show that weekend because I'd been to this town a lot and everybody was who bought tickets were has seen the show before. I said I got to write a new show today. I walking through the aisles of Walmart just finding stuff on the shelves and picking things up and, and writing a show that night about it. Um, so yes, I mean that really hits the nail on the head. You know, get buy props that you can just get rid of, eliminate, um, or write your material. You know, sketch driven, where it's almost like it's perfect for the radio. How important do you think, uh, in the context of, I'm going to term it as slowly easing out of the COVID um, mania and fear that's been instilled into the public through the, the dramatic headlines and stuff. How much more important do you think the pre-talk is now? In Because, uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I would... I won't know this for sure until the British government say, hey, venues are open, you can go and do a show. Uh, all my work got cancelled like every, everyone else's. But the moment that does happen, I strongly suspect with the way I see people, people reacting in supermarkets and stuff that it's going to become exponentially harder to get them to volunteer in the first place. Yeah. And again, you hit a very, a, a very valid point, nail right on the head. I feel that the pre-talk is the most important part of the show to begin with. Um, too many hypnotists, stage hypnotists I see go on the stage and they're doing like a hypnosis like lecture. Mm. And it's, there's almost nothing funny about it. And, and it. and it does a huge disservice to the industry. You know, you got to remember, the, you know, you're coming to see a comedy show. It's a comedy hypnosis show. Yeah. It's not a comedy hypnosis. It's not a, it's not a comedy uh, hypnosis demonstration. Yeah. Demonstration is a totally different, different ballgame. If you're doing a, a comedy hypnosis show, that pre-talk should be stand-up comedy material written about hypnosis. So, and as as a comedian purist, you know, comedy material means eight laughs a minute. Mm -hmm. so if you're not getting eight laughs a minute, then it's not really comedy material at this point. And now you're giving a funny lecture, an ent entertaining lecture at best. And then some people I've seen, you know, it's not even that. It's just they given this boring thing about all the, the you know, the quit smoke and lose weight. And yes, you should put that stuff in there, but you got to do it in a funny, entertaining way, you know. Um, so you dispel the myths, you know, you can't just, all right. So if you tell them that, yeah, you gave me a familiar fresh, I've been doing this for days, all right. And all of a sudden you already get that nervous laughter going on. So let's say I was to hypnotize you and I just leave the room. You're not going to get stuck, you know, 10, 15 days tops. You come out of it automatically by yourself. You're going to fall in a nice sleep. So I'm already making fun of their fear of getting stuck in hypnosis, which I know is a giant elephant in the room. So How much would you address the COVID thing at the moment? Would you actually hit it straight on and go, look, as you can see, I mean, they're going to be able to see visually, but would you verbalize it? Look, you're going to be socially distanced on stage. The law says I have to. Um, so for your safety, we're doing everything by the book type of thing. Would yeah, you hit that on? Yeah, and and that's that's actually a perfect way to sell it. You know, you know, I sell it. You know, we we got your safety in mind here. In fact, you're not going to have to worry about touching anybody else or anything. Everything's been sanitized perfectly and stuff like that. And I'm, I'll make jokes about the sanitization process. You know, you can make jokes about like you know, listen, trust me. You guys have hooked up with a lot of worse people in your life. <laughs> yeah. so, you, you, so you want to you want to do it in jest, but get the information out there. All right. And like I said, the shows I did a couple of weeks ago, people charged to the stage like they normally do. They wanted to do it. Excellent. And, uh, as long as you show them that you you have you know everybody's back and you got the safety in mind, and listen, and they can see right away the way the chairs are manipulated. They already know you got to figure it out, and they're like, oh, this makes total sense. You know, just by the mere sight of the stage, the way it's set up. Yeah. They already, the, the wheels are spinning for them. It's like I was, when I teach hypnotists how to hypnotize people, I said the easiest way to do it is let them hypnotize themselves. Let them read between the lines and fill in the cracks themselves and your job is already done for you. So this job here is also done. When they see the chair set up a certain way, they're going to be like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, this actually, I was wondering how he's going to do it. This makes total sense. And they know that the situation is covered. 
Yeah, Their mind's going to fill in the cracks. I always tell people, what's scarier? A car bomb going off or the threat of a car bomb? The threat is, is way scarier because if a car bomb went off, you're like, oh, man, better get out of here. Let's roll. And we roll. But a threat is like, well, how big is the bomb? Who's, whose car is it in? Is it, gonna blow, is it a nuclear bomb? We're all going to die? Your mind will always make it bigger than it is. Yeah. So if you, if you let them fill in the cracks, they'll answer their own questions and say, ah, this guy's got it totally covered. I'm good. Uh, and then all of a sudden I start talking. He says, yeah, he's, yeah he w- I'm right. Yeah, he's right. It is safe. We can do this. And yeah. they, they will make the decision. They'll make the decision before you even do it. Do you wear a mask? I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, I know some people. Do, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer on that. Yeah. Just, um... The way I'm looking at it, you know, so we can't get those N95 masks, which are really good ones. So we can't get those. And the other one with the cloth, um, they're not talking about this, but early on they were saying how those cloth ones, the virus can go right through there anyway. Well, the CDC back in March clearly stated you're better off not using one of them because, if anything, it cuts down your oxygen and uh, it's I, like I, stopping a pee through a trailing fence. I, I, exactly. I, I get it. So me personally, I don't wear it, you know, and I was just know. thinking from the psychological point of view, maybe of it visually acting as a, a suggestion of safety to audience members. Yeah, I, I actually I actually look at it the opposite way. Like, you know, I'm so unconcerned about the safety here. I'm, I'm not even wearing a mask, you know, because I, I know that this is a very remote situation. We got everything covered here. We got everything sanitized. Everybody's been checked on the way in. Everybody's temperature has been taken. Everybody's all good. Nobody's contagious. We're taking every precaution possible. In fact, I'm not wearing If I don't have to wear a mask, you guys should feel safe, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, that makes total sense. I just, I just have to bring you up because I know there is... There's at least one, maybe two people that I'm aware of in America who've done shows recently and they've masked up from yeah. what I can see. Yeah, I, I, did, I, I see that as possibly a negative suggestion. Like I, I, brought my, I brought my own microphone. You know, I did that, you know, um, so that was one precaution I took, but I didn't wear the mask. Um, and I, I kept everybody distance and, and, and far apart. And um, I just let the chips fall as they may. You know, I, I did my part to keep everybody apart. Um, I, like I said, I, I'm the only one who touched the microphone. I'm the only one who handled it. And I let everybody just act out their stuff. Microphones, that's a good point. I know you mentioned it. I mean, I was talking to someone else earlier today about this, and I said, bloody hell, they better have, you know, it, it's always important to have it in your contract that the equipment, sound equipment's got to be good. But it's more important than ever now, given that we're supposed to socially distance the two meters. We can't really, technically, I know we could, but if we want to be really keeping to the latter of things, we can't really be sticking the microphone into the face to ask for their responses. We need to have that distance, so the mic, the PAs need to be up, don't they? So the mics are more sensitive for the audience to hear the reactions if we're doing things like the world's greatest liars routine or whatever. Right, I know. it's um Because what's going to happen is if you put the microphone on and they spit into the microphone, you go to the next guy, he's and it's almost the same exact thing as having them on top of each other. Yeah, well, exactly. Cross contamination could, yeah, right. Yeah, that, that, that's why you have to make it where that there's that bit is unnecessary. You, so, have to, you, have fill, you have to fill in the cracks for them. So, yeah, so it's very, very much visual reactions are more important, I would say. Yep. Exactly. So, so, like I said, I, I do like a, a 20 minute story up front, then I go right into the smell bit good and bad smells because everything's facial reactions at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can go on for like another 10 minutes. You're a half hour deep at that point. I only, at that point, I only need four sketches to fill up the rest of the hour. Yeah. I have, I have my, my pre-talk is super funny. That's 15 minutes up front. So I do the good energy affirmation. Um, and then some, uh, some housekeeping at the end. That's an hour and a half show. Excellent. So, and- it's, and it's funny, like 90, 90% of the amount of time on stage. How are you handling back of the room sales in the current climate? I'm, I'm not doing it. Oh, okay. It's, what, I'm, what I'm doing now is I'm capturing everybody's email and text and zapping them all the stuff vi- um, virtually. Okay, so, that, so then you can get it off your website, download or have it, yeah. Right. So, so, and I've been working on this system for a long time. So now again, 
it's, you know, out of, you know, necessity comes all the great ideas. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on this for a long time about trying to capture everybody's information all in one crack. So I make I made a bit. You make a bit that involves them zapping you the information right there. Right. Kind of, you know, so that way you're capturing everybody's info. You send me a text right now. Kind of like a lot of the mentalist mind readers have started doing bits in their shows where, in you know, towards the end of the show or in the second half, we're, we're going to do a mass audience mind reading experiment. So I'd like exactly. you to go to at Royal Hypnotist and, and tweet me the name of a vegetable or whatever and use the hashtag and a hashtag that you know specifically for that show so that then they can find everyone that posted up and communicate with them. Exactly. That's, that's, it's, that's exactly how you do it. And now you capture everybody's information all in one crack, and then you butter them up at the end, you know, with the sales pitch. Your life better. Buy it right there on the phone. And you give them an incentive to get it right there on the phone. Right that's- now. I'm, I'm going to give you ten dollars off right now, in the next in the next half hour. So direct, as it's called, direct response marketing. They've got to take response there and then directly because yeah. there's a benefit to them. Yeah. Yep. You got you got to give them the, the yeah if right now. Give them the benefit right now. The, the scare the scarcity and time bonus. And you frame it out for them right there, and then the great thing about that is now you have all that data. And you can nurture those people forward, going forward now. You know, I'm, I'm a fan-based comedian. I, I don't, um, in other words, I don't get paid to do the gig. You know, I'm, I'm almost the exact opposite of everybody else. So in other words, a lot of people doing like high school graduation shows, the college venues, the fairs. I don't do any of those gigs at all. Okay. I, I, and I know that sounds weird. And I, I've managed to do 300 shows a year for 30 years in a row doing shows as a fan-based comedian. So in other words, the more fans come see my show, the more money I make. And that way, there's no... You're doing box, you're doing box office. Yes. Stuff, yeah? Right, so that way there's no competition. You know, there's literally hypnotists in my, in my audience every single night. And they'll call up my venues. Hey, I don't, I don't know what he's getting paid, but I'll do it for half the amount. And a lot of the owners are friends of mine. They call me up and say, you know, you know this guy? I said, yeah, he was at my show last night. He goes, yeah, he called me up, said he'd do the show for free. I'm like, really? And they're, they're like scavengers. It's unbelievable. Um, but they, the venues will never do that because they know that they make money with me. And Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what it's all about. I, I always tell people, you know, this business is such an easy business to be successful in. All right? There's, there's thousands. I know in the U.S., there's 65,000 venues that, the, that shows can happen in. Mm-hmm. Not just comedy clubs, but all types of different venues that, can, that you, you can play. If you just had 25, you did them twice a year, that's your entire year. All right. I could, you could, there could be, there's really no competition when you look at it that way. If, you know, and you could do it very simply. You go out and you start getting your little roster of venues. And after a year or two, they're already filled in. Now, all of a sudden, now you have 25, you got 35. Then you got 50. Then all of a sudden, now you start looking like, you know what? This this one was wasn't all that good last year. Let's get let's bump this one off. And you don't do that one anymore. And after doing it many years, you're only doing the best gigs now at this point. And now you start to sandwich them in closer and closer together, and your schedule keeps getting better and better. And nobody can ever take your gig. And you're not you're not competing for anybody else. You're not making the phone calls. You're not going on gig masters trying to get gigs. You, you all the stuff just happens on autopilot. Like my phone just rings or my email just lights up. Hey, you want to do this gig this day? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Or when I'm getting paid to do the gig, the guy says, when do you want to do it again? Let's call, let's, call, let's call it six months. I already got the calendar out. I put it in the book, and we're good to go. You know, I have my gigs that I do that are scheduled in for the year, a year in advance. Excellent. So I do the same weeks every year in the, in the same venues. So, um, and that, that's the really the best way. If you become a fan-based comedian, it really is, it makes you bulletproof. It, it, it gets you to the point where you have no competition. You don't have to worry about where your next meal ticket's coming from. And you're going to make more money doing it that way. Because you're, you're basically your own boss. Mm. It's really the smart way to do it. I've been doing it like that my entire career. Excellent. And the thing is, it's actually easier now to go down that route than it used to be. Because back 
25 years ago, um, you know, I've been doing hypno shows 30 years here in England, so I, I know the climate, albeit I know it in England because you're in the States, but back then we didn't have the wonderful thing of the internet and social media platforms to build up followers and fans that the newbies have now got. There's major advantages. So much, so much better, you, you know, and, and this is all part of it. People don't realize that, you know, when you talk to people after the show, they write their email email address in a book, or now using the new system where you capture everybody's information all in one crack, you'd nurture those fans. You know, every month you should be, at least every month, send them something. Hey, you're not going to believe what happened last night at the show. Oh, this guy almost puked on stage. It was hilarious. You got to see this video. And all of a sudden you see the guy, he's all, mm-hmm. and now the, 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 your fans are looking, oh man, look, that guy's almost thrown up. This is amazing, right? And these they become like your friends. And now you send them an email or a text next time you're in that town. They say, oh, here's that guy I was telling you about. And they bring all their friends down and the room gets packed. And that's really the key to your success by nurturing those fans and keeping staying in touch with them and sending them little doodads of content. Not always trying to sell them something, just keep giving them good stuff. You know, show them what you're doing. You know, so they actually of, look forward to getting an email from you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they almost, like your fans have become almost like part of your life. Like I'll, I'll go into um, a place that I'm playing and people ask me about my pets. They ask me about my girlfriend. You know, they, 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 all, they know all my pets' names, my cats, my dogs. You know, they, say, they know all of that stuff. It's incredible. It's incredible, but it's borderline a little bit kind of stalkerish, the whole social media. Um, it, it's crazy what happens. Um, I, was, I was doing a venue in way upstate New York, a little tiny town. And I'm walking my dog, and here comes this girl driving her pickup truck. She rolls the window down. Rich Guzzy, how you doing, right? And I'm like, I didn't even, I would never play this town ever. She, and she goes, hey, Jasper, Jasper. She knew my dog's name. I'm like, look at this. <laughs> I, she knew me, and she knew my dog's name. And she's welling up to me, hey, Jasper. I couldn't believe it. That's the price of fame. It's kind of, it's great, because as you say, it makes it easier to get bums on seats, but... Yeah, it's a bit disconcerting sometimes because people think they know you. Yeah, they and they do. They know a lot about you. They want a they want a little piece of your life, and that's I, that's why I always tell people: you go on stage, you don't realize the um not the power but the responsibility that comes with you being on that stage, especially as a hypnotist, because every time every night you paint hypnosis in a great light, all right, on the stage, people go out and they talk. They're like, hey, you're not going to believe what I saw last night. What happened? You know, Joe, Joe, yeah, Joe from the plate. Yeah, he got hypnotized. He was stiffing this other guy. It was unbelievable. And they, they tell a story, all right? And then all of a sudden you do this good energy affirmation stuff at the end of the show. And everybody has this feel-good moment at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. And they see the power of hypnosis and what it can do, all right? And you get these emails and these texts from these fans that say, you're not going to believe what happened, right? My husband came back from the war. He hadn't slept in bed for like three months, for you know, three years, all right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I don't know what you did to him on the stage, but now he was like a changed man on the way home. All of a sudden, he slept in bed with me. So the first time in three years, my, my, my kids got their dad back. Wow. And I'm like, this is powerful stuff. And we as stage hypnotists, there's a huge responsibility. And yes, people know you, and it's almost like stalkerish. But they look at you as, as this larger-than-life person. And if you don't dress properly, and you don't speak properly, you don't give them a good show, they, they, they leave with a bad taste in their mouth, and, and hypnosis loses its value. So I, I tell people, when you go on stage, you should be dressed twice as good as everybody else, at least two levels above the audience. So if you're doing a fine establishment, you should be in a suit. If everybody's yeah. wearing suits, you should be in a tuxedo. If it's black tie, you better be in like a James Bond tuxedo, all right? So you always have to dress at least one or two levels above the, what the crowd's going to be. Because they're looking at you like a celebrity. And it's, yeah. it's so important. It's a huge responsibility. So going slightly off on one, because obviously you, you were doing straight stand-up before um, the hypnosis. But, I mean, this applies to hypnosis as well with, with the skits or sketches, routines, call them what you will. What do you make of all this political correctness? It's just getting, even in recent times right now, it's getting during the COVID coronavirus stuff, we've had 
riots. We've had the whole Black Lives Matter stuff. And I'm not being flippant about any of these things. They're all very serious things. But it, personally, I think it just got ridiculous. If something's funny, it's funny. Um, but too many people, there's too many things that apparently were not supposed to be ageist, sexist, racist, anything east. We're not supposed to be doing hardly any material if you believe the do-gooders. I mean, what do you make of all that? Yeah, and, and uh, again, um, I know in our country, it's very galvanized right now. Yeah, and everybody's digging in. It's like it's like a tug of war, and they're digging in. However, you know, people are people, and they want to really, mo- for the most part, be good people. Mm-hmm. There's some bad. Listen, there's some bad eggs out there. I get it. But in the end, people want to be good, and you want to find the good in people. And I'm not saying you should go out and you have carte blanche and do whatever you want and talk whatever you want because, hey, it's the art. And if you don't like the art, don't listen to me, all right? Um, that, that's, that's taking it too far. Has the sensibilities of the world and the country changed? Absolutely. I noticed that a long time ago. You know, I used to do a racy show. I don't do that show anymore. The country doesn't want to see it anymore, all right? And but my hair is all gray now and I'm older. It's that, but dirty material gets dirtier as you get older, so... Yeah, perceptive. Right. Yeah, yeah. So my my show is all inspirational now because I'm an inspirational guy, you know, and I'm for the underdog. You know, I understand why people are rioting and it's bad. You know, you know a lot of a lot of bad stuff's happening. That doesn't make it right to riot and, and loot people. That that's bad too. All right, but what we need to do is show them, hey, let me show you a way how things can be really awesome. All right, I know you you're upset on this side. You're upset on this side. But if we all come together and work together on this thing, I guarantee you I can show you a way how everything can be really super awesome right now. Give me a shot. Let me show you this. And I can put my show together, and I can have people on the left, people on the right, people in the middle. And they're like, wow, he's right. This is pretty good stuff here. You yeah. know, um, and, and, and you can – and it can, it can happen. You know, my fans are on both sides. It doesn't make a difference, and, and I was all are welcome. I, I, my, I'm for the underdog. I, I was an underdog my entire life, and I, the stuff they teach you in school, like you know, math, science, English, you know, you know, history and stuff like that. I get it. You have to have those subjects, but if you gave people real education and showed them how to be successful, yeah, the stuff they don't teach in school, those intangibles, all right. And I want to show people the intangibles, and I, I show people the intangibles on my show. I'm like, you know, I got very lucky. I was an underdog who just somehow figured it all out, made a lot of mistakes, but I got it all figured out and became super successful. But you guys, a lot of you, most of you guys are better than me. You know, I barely made it through high school. You guys are a lot smarter than me. If I did it, if a dummy like me could do it, I know you guys can make this happen. Here's the plan. Let me show you the plan how to make this happen. And that's what the show is all about. I, I, I do little doodads in the show, like little nuances that mm-hmm. show people how that can happen. Like, so I'll give you an example. They're on a roller coaster and they're, and they're super scared and they're going down and they're fearful and they're, they're out of their mind scared on this thing. All of a sudden at the end, you'll see a couple of people were just really shaking. A lot of times there's a big guy. He's like, oh man, that was terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. So I really put him through the paces. I'll actually put my hand on his shoulder say, you were so brave to go on that ride. Remember, every time you conquer a fear in your life, become stronger in every other area of your life. Today you conquered a huge fear, became stronger and stronger. Your life becomes better and better. It's a good job. Deep asleep. Deep asleep. All right? Then I showed the audience, if I could do this with this man who was just terrified, we could easily do that and make your life better in every aspect. So I, I turned a super funny bit, scariness, put into a self-help. Let's make it's your life better. motivational. Yeah. yeah. They don't even know they're getting it. Some people recognize. They come up, they have to show, they say, but dude, you know what? I really like what you do with that stuff. You know what? A lot of people didn't read between the lines, but I did. I saw you exactly what you were doing. And so people do catch it. But even if they don't, it sinks in and they see what's going on. And they realize this is a valuable tool. You can make your life super good. And again, you know, when you have fans, this job becomes a lot easier. You know, I have it easier now because I've been doing this for a long time. I got a lot of fans and the people come to see my show now. Mm-hmm. So and they're bringing their friends to come see the show. Oh, you're gonna see this guy. This guy's this guy's awesome. 
they bring their friends down. So when you're a little bit more famous, you have a little bit more latitude. All right. So you get to talk, you get away with a little more. You could talk about a little more stuff, you know, topics that people maybe normally wouldn't want to hear about. Yeah. We had to have fun. Stop with stop with the motivational stuff. Just make me laugh. Make me laugh, clown boy. You know. <laughs> but that's the advantage of having a show where your fans are coming to see you. That's why I said it's super valuable to start now building up that fan base. Because then all this political correctness stuff, you're gonna notice melts away and goes away because your fans are there to hear what you have to say. Mm. And it melts away and makes your job a lot easier. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean that makes total sense because although there's all this political correctness, it doesn't stop people like British comedian. Um, he's known in America as well to some degree. Uh, Eddie Izzard, he's completely outspoken, and many would say some of his materials unacceptable, but that's their choice. But he still goes out, he does it, and he's got a massive fan base. Um, I remember in America, in England, we had a comedian, he's, he's no longer alive, called Bernard Manning. And he was, lots of people would say he was racist, sexist and all this. But the fact is he said, well, I take the piss out of black people, Chinese, English, French, and he, the list went on and on. He said, by the time I've done my stage show, there isn't a race, colour, creed, age, size, um, every other label you could think of that I haven't taken the piss out of at some point. So how can I be discriminating when I'm taking the piss out of everyone, including myself? Right. <laughs> exactly. I, I get it. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, if, if you can pull it off, you know, certain comics can pull it off and they can make it happen. Of course, they have a, they have a valid point. They're making valid points about social issues. And that's mm. the golden ticket. When you can make valid points about social issues and get people thinking. That's where the real power comes. You know, I see a lot of political comics pulling it off and doing a great job with it. You know, we have to make smart choices, you know, and, and these people could be the leaders because a lot of a lot of our leaders, like I said, they're polarized on both sides now. They're, they're dug in and they, they hate each other. And yeah. that that doesn't that doesn't help us as the people. No, definitely not. It, it doesn't because, you know, in the end, we, we all have to come together. Because if somebody gets sick, all right, you go to the hospital, you don't ask the guy, hey, you on the right or the left? He's, no. just, the guy help He's just the guy helping you, man. Right? You're not going to you're gonna refuse help because the guy's on the wrong side. And he's not going to turn you down because you're on the wrong side. You know, no, so exactly. that's... That's that's what our leaders need to do now. Our leaders need to galvanize everybody back together. Stop stop the fighting. You know, and you know it's uh, it, it makes no sense to me. You, you know, I, I think we should all just band together and we're, we're stronger together than apart. I go, well, undoubtedly, uh, I could not agree more. So um, we kind of talk stage hypnosis. Uh, well, we have taught stage hypnosis, but yeah, you do also do. Well, you're kind of doing a bit of therapy within your stage hypnosis show from right. what you just explained. But, I mean, as a standalone, I know if people want, they can go to the links below this video or audio podcast. And you do have self-help products and you do have training courses that are therapy related uh, as well that people can see at your website link. Um, and fingers crossed, I know that coming up in August, I'll say fingers crossed, but assumedly HypnoThoughts will... Go ahead. I know you're, you're speaking there. Speaking there, yes. Um, so, I mean, what, what what's your favorite approach hypnotherapy-wise? Because there's, you know, by that I mean some people go on. I very much prefer the Ericksonian approach. Some people go, I prefer the Almond approach. Some are direct, some are permissive. What What's your sort of favorite approach? I actually have my own approach. Oh, excellent. Um, and I use a sales approach. Okay. So I sell you what you want to be sold. Okay. So let me explain. Please do, yeah. So let's say you want to quit smoking. Uh-huh. All right. If you come if a person comes and wants to quit smoking and the normal hypnosis scripts, oh, you're gonna live longer, you're gonna notice it's so much healthier now, right? Mm-hmm. 
what you're really selling is self-preservation. Yeah. If the guy is not self-preservation, he's not going to quit smoking now. Of course, there's four types of people. There's self-preservation, money, romance, and recognition. Those are the only four things we buy. There's one that's predominantly you. If the guy is not self-preservation, which is, which is only 25% of the public, because there's 25% of each one, then he's not, that's not going to be effective for you. That's not effective therapy. So if the guy was money, I would sell him the fact that the cigarette companies are duping you, and every year you're spending thousands of dollars on cigarettes, compounded over a five-year period, which your money doubles every five years. After 10 years of smoking, even at a pack a day, you've burnt up with interest a quarter of a million dollars. That's a lot of money. When you think about it, look at the things you could do with that money. Mm. I'm selling him what he wants to be sold. If I'm selling him romance, you know how much more romantically attractive you're going to be when you quit smoking? Your skin's going to look younger, clean breath, right? Your skin's going to have beautiful color again. Lady, you're, you're, lady it's going to take 10, 20 years off, your, off your, the way you look. Mm-hmm. Recognition, right? You know how many millions of people try to quit smoking every year, but they fail? You're going to be able to say, I quit like that. I did it one, two, three. All you other guys made it, couldn't do it. I did it, no problem. Nice. I sell them what they want to be sold, and a direct approach. So how do you decide what it is they want to be sold? It's very easy. Um, I, I do it through process elimination. So I can I can ask you a few questions mm-hmm. in seconds. I can tell you which of the fatal four you are: self-preservation, money, romance, recognition. So what I do is I, I start eliminating certain categories right away. Uh huh. All right. And then once you then you narrow it down, then you say, yeah, you know what? I think recognition. Then I test it. I'll say something that'll poke their recognition, and all of a sudden you go they go like this. Get that. That, and that's confirmation. Yep, mm-hmm. their recognition. I sell them that. Right. So, and you get once once you get good at it, you know, you do it. You know, there's a very specific process I use to do it. I can I can literally sometimes do it without even talking to the person. Like I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. You see a girl and she's at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. She's finely dressed. All right. She's got a really fancy, expensive handbag. All right. I'm looking at her. She's finely dressed, hair well done, fancy handbag. All right. So I start using process of elimination. All right. Self-preservation, money, romance, recognition. I can look at where she's holding the bag and determine she's finely dressed. So she cares about what she looks like. But if she's guarding the bag, that would be self-preservation. Where if she was displaying the bag, it will be recognition. So I can make an evaluation with the data she's giving me and sometimes decide which of the fatal four she is just by not even saying words, by looking, just by looking at her actions. This is interesting. I've got to ask you because I know some of my viewers and listeners will also be magicians or, or mentalists involved in those fields as well. Um, and what you've just described, which frankly I think is genius, relates very closely to some techniques in um, cold reading. Yes. Giving psychic readings. Cold, cold readers are doing this stuff naturally. They don't understand how the mechanics work. I've dissected the mechanics. I, I actually teach a whole course just on this, on how to do this. Excellent. Uh, most people who have this skill, power, don't even know they're doing it. They're just doing it kind of naturally. They don't even know how they're doing it. It's like the guy who go walk into a bar and pick up women. He's not even a good-looking guy, but for some reason, he always gets the girl. He's doing this technique, but doesn't even know he's doing it. What I'm doing is I'm dissecting why it works. So, so yes, the cold readers are doing exactly this. So, you know, anyone out there cold reading-wise, you might not necessarily be into hypnotherapy big style, but it could still be worth you checking out Rich's website links below and checking out when he is doing his um, 
courses and whatnot because there are definitely parallels as we've just said there of things that can be useful in those arenas as well yep i i show people how this thing is it's so like deadly effective and once you get good at this you can literally do it in seconds like i said i i would know i could walk into a place and sometimes just look at the person and tell you which what you what you one they are by just the mere sight with by dissecting the data. And I gave you the example of the bag, but there's millions of different ways you can do it. You can ask them one question about what the weather is outside. The way they answer the question, you can decipher which, which of the fatal four they are. Oh, okay. It could be just one simple question like that, and they can answer it. Oh, the weather. It's always it's always that way. Right? And you can and you can now you, you've already narrowed it down. He's not money, he's not romance, right? It's down, it's between recognition or self-preservation at that point already. And he, he tells you, he asks him one more question, and he tips his hand and tells you what it is. Nice. So, so within seconds, you already have him. Then you ask him, then you get you give him confirmation. So the guy's recognition, right? You've decided he's recognition. You say something like, you know, um, yeah, I know. You, 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 endure the, you can endure the bad weather. These other guys, these guys are weak. They can't do it. You could do it, no problem. Us men like this, we know how to do it. The guy's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then you know it's recognition. I, I, I know he's recognition. So what am I going to sell him? Recognition. Right? So now you're going to sell him a hypnosis session? All right? Hypnosis? Really? What's that all about? Let me tell you something. With hypnosis, it turns on the power. You can walk into the room and light up any room. Everybody's going to want to do business with you. That's how powerful this stuff is. Oh, really? Now, he, now he's interested. Yeah. Excellent. If I, yeah, so, guy, if I tell that guy he could quit smoking, he could lose weight, I don't. What do I care? Yeah. It it rings bells in my head as well with um, sort of underlying principles of um, Maxwell, my mental block, Maxwell Maltz. Psycho cybernetics, and then there's the science of selling with psycho cybernetics, which is about discovering their emotional, which is their trigger. But and it sounds very not I not the same, but on a similar kind of very similar. You're hitting the special trigger points, and everybody everybody wants something a certain something. Have you got any online materials on your course about uh, people fun, can get? Yeah, actually, um, my Hypnosis World website has more stuff than Rich Guzzi actually now. Okay, well, we'll, we'll both links below this. Because, um, yeah, I mean, that's something I can see the power of that straight away. And the uses, I think that's something that viewers and listeners would find immensely useful. The, the, the biggest thing I tell people now is the it factor. The it factor is actually the key ingredient. If you want success, like real success, mm-hmm. your it factor is your key ingredient. And that's the same thing, like with, when the guy who can just like walk into the room and lights the room up and he's kind of doing it, he's doing it naturally. He doesn't even know he has it. But it factor is the key ingredient that makes people successful. Well, you actually need four things to be successful. You need skills and hopefully a more marketable skill, a more indispensable skill than the next guy. Yeah. You need Marketing capability, outsourcing, and leadership. So, because you can't do everything well, you have to have other people do stuff for you. Mm-hmm. And then, it, it factor. It factor is the secret intangible. It's the secret ingredient that can make a guy with limited skills become super successful, but it can make a guy with real skills become a superstar. So, I hear people complain all the time. Oh man, I'm better than him. My, I'm, I'm a way better hypnotist than that guy. I'm a better magician. I, I could juggle and magician stuff at the same time. I'm way better. Yeah, but you know what? He's got more effective than you. You need to learn the effective. You add your your skills with his effective, you'll be a thousand times better than him. And the fans will come in droves. But right now, he's beating you on effective. And that's the key ingredient. If you, if you look at anybody who's super successful, these big-time entrepreneurs, business mm-hmm. owners, leaders, Right, the it factor is that key ingredient, and what what it is, is that magnetism. You walk into a room, you light the room up, and it's um, being able to communicate properly. It's having confidence, 
charisma, being able to dress properly, look the part, and being like a celebrity all day, every day. And if you can put those things together, if you can be, have the it factor, it's going to make your career move on to the next level. Every one of these stage hypnotists who think you think you're better than the next guy, you probably are. You probably do have amazing skills. Develop the it factor. You get that, and now you have the magic. And, you know, charisma is really charm plus power. Charm plus power equals charisma. Like a bum could be very charming. Mm. Right? A homeless guy can walk up, he's, he's shucking and jiving, he's, hey, man, right? And he, he's, he's trying to sell you. But he looks like a bum, so he's got no power, which means he doesn't have animal magnets. He's got no charisma. Mm -hmm. So the secret ingredient is charm plus power equals charisma. But then the real golden ticket is being able to talk to somebody else and communicate from a position of power without making the other person feel diminished. So you become interested, not interesting. And now... You're like a politician. You have the power like a rock star, like a movie star. You ever notice they, they could talk to somebody and they you, they make you feel amazing, even though they're higher than you. They yeah. don't diminish you and make you feel crappy. And that's where real power and charisma is, it really comes into play. And you'll be the leader in the room. And if you could, you manage that, like I said, you put this all together, you have the it factor and you will soar past your competition. Uh, and for the record, Rich definitely does have a course on this on his website because I saw it earlier on. So if you go looking at the Hypnotic World website, it's on there, as I recall. Yes. Well, bloody hell, would you believe it? We're 57 minutes have gone by. So we're going to have to start winding this up. Um, Thank you so much for your time, sir. I know that I have picked up a lot of things along the way, not least of which is um, the correlation between cold reading and, and, uh, and the emotional point. I, you know, that's something I want to look into more. Everyone, there are links below this video or the audio version where you can't see our faces, but you might be listening on uh, iTunes, but there will still be links there to Rich's websites, also to his social media platforms, YouTube, and all those other things. So please do go subscribe to his YouTube channel, like him, follow him, do all those things that the social media uh, requires so you can keep up to date on what he's doing and check out his stuff even more. Thank you so much, Mr. Rich Guzzi. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. It's, you know what? It's been a pleasure talking to you. I knew this was going to be awesome. And then when I first started talking to you and the knowledge you had was very vast. I can tell you've been doing this for a long time as well. Um, your skill level is on par with the greats. Well, thank you very much indeed. That's largely down to standing on the shoulder of giants and having good teachers over the years and uh, listening and learning from them, including from my dad, of course. He wasn't a hypnotist, but I was born on the circus. So, you know, family and all that, as it is teaching you, such is show business. I hope things get back to normal. I hope they do for us everywhere in the world. I hope, I, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. It's Everything is going to come back. Once this, this is all going to blow away, it might be, not be right away. Probably going to be the beginning of next year before we're back in the groove. Mm. But I feel we're coming. I know we're coming back. And um, Chipotle Mexican Grill proves that. I, I remember when everybody was getting sick of Chipotle many years ago, <laughs> and the stock price price crashed. Oh, they might as well just go out of business. Nobody's going to ever eat Chipotle ever again. Well, you know what? People came back. The stock's at a thousand dollars a share again, and it's blowing up. Everybody's eating a Chipotle. So people will forget about the disease. People are going to come back. We want to be out, go out and be social. We really do. We're, humans are social. We want to go out and do things. And it's all coming back, folks. Trust me when I tell you. We're going to be back. And we're going to be you heard it here back. first. But we have to band together. No more. Don't pick sides. We're all part of the human race. It's not B to B, a B to C. It's human to human. All right? And we all need to band together. And that's how we win. Exactly. Because it doesn't matter what color, race, creed, religion, political leaning, or any other thing you are. We all breathe, and excuse the crudity, but we all piss and shit the same way. We are, we all bleed the same way. 
and we all have emotional needs that are the same. It's okay to disagree, despite what some people want you to think to cause division and and um, them against us and all that nonsense. It's okay to disagree on things. Um, thank you, Rich. Uh, in a most appropriate manner, that ends things on an inspirational note, which, given the nature of the show that Rich does, that is very apt. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, viewers and listeners. Please share this around as well to spread the love. And we'll see you on another show soon. Take care, Rich. Bye-bye.